Hello, Story Seekers. I'm Ben. I'm Nico, and you're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. Nano season is upon us again. And just like last year, we are taking the challenge. NaNoWriMo challenges writers to pen 50,000 words in the month of November. No mean feat. You can also increase that cap or even set a word count for editing. In this nano season, we're going to explore our works in progress and talk about it, what it takes to win at NaNoWriMo. We are previous winners, aren't we? Last year, champions. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of an odd rhetoric, that, isn't it? Winning. Yeah. It implies losers, doesn't it? Well, you know, everyone else is a loser. <laughs> not true. <laughs> but I think you can get, like, I think we've had, we've spoken to people last year, and um, yeah. some people said that, like, some of the things that they got out of nanos that they technically lost were better than the ones that they won. Like, you can yeah. end up in a hell for leather sprint, and the words just don't mean anything, and they ultimately evaporate from. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> evaporate from your final draft so it's a bit of an odd one so i think you've also got to set like an internal goal as well as that fifty thousand. absolutely um which is like uh well in, in your example to finish a book um yeah i think finish your first draft it's a really interesting one because that number's there fifty thousand. but i don't think fifty thousand words are the amount i need to get where i want to be at the end of my first draft right so even though in theory I could lose NaNoWriMo because I don't write that many words, mm-hmm. I don't want to just cram extra words into a story for the sake of cramming words in. But it's oh, it's very much um, their terminology, isn't it? They give you the little trophy sticker and all that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we sort of went in. I wouldn't I wouldn't say naively last year, but there was um there was a there was a way that we approached it where we were just like very sort of virginal about uh, doing the NaNoWriMo. Um, yeah. Where it was like a very almost like a very first time experience, although I'd I'd done it before, but that was your it was your first time, and yeah, we also had other people that we were aware of that were doing it for the first time. This this time around, it's it's a bit different, and we've we've actually spoken to some of our recent guests about it, um, including uh, C. L. Hellison, who we had on not long ago, and uh, they are doing a um, like a almost like an anti nano remo month where they're set, they've set themselves the challenge of writing micro fiction every day for yeah. November, which is only 300 words a day. So that's, the, in terms of a word count and a com- time commitment, massive change. And um, if anybody's interested in following along with that, you can uh, go to their Twitter and um, uh, you can see that they've put up a little uh, post with um, prompts for each different day. Oh, that's fun. It's it's a, it's a really fun thing to do. So I, I, I've seen a, a few of those kind of things happening on, um, you know, with the people that we follow on Twitter and just generally on social media where everyone's definitely up for doing something in November, but not necessarily writing zero to 50,000 fresh words. I think uh, that's, that's the best thing to take from it is the kind of community spirit of it. Yeah. The, yeah. the everyone getting their heads down and, you know, I, I actually missed a day. I, I'm absolutely gutted because I missed a day last year. So I don't get, there's a, you can get little goals on the website, gang, for anyone following along. Get a badge. Like, you've, ri- you've written this many words. And last year, Mr. Day didn't get the update progress every day. And I very sensibly, on day two of NaNoWriMo, went and got an enormous tattoo on my entire upper arm <laughs> and could not type on that day. And uh, I'm not going to get that sticker again. And I'm proper mad about it. <laughs> I mean, it might be worth, I know, I know you're tongue in cheek there, but like, 
the reasons for writing can't be badges or pat on the heads from anybody else apart from yourself. That's true. Um, I, I think it's just that it's going to be the only one that's not coloured in, and that bothers me <laughs> rather than the, the not getting what, a badge bit. Send me a screenshot. I'll colour it in for you. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> um, so you're you're um, adding to an existing draft. This is the draft that you started last year. You did, it you, is. As, as you said, you won NaNoWriMo. Uh, I think you ended up on like 50-something thousand words, didn't you? Yeah. Um, then... You've worked on it a little bit here and there, and then your the goal is to wherever it ends is you're trying to get the first draft completed of this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, an interesting spot because I've sort of the story is there, the sort of point A to point B narrative is there, and we're now in the bit where right I've I've baked a cake, but now I've got to do fillings and icing and all of the bits that you know make a cake interesting. Interesting. So you've written the end. Yes, there there is an ending, and that actually only happened yesterday. I'd been sort of toying with what the ending was going to be, and I had one of those, and we talk about them, and it's great when you get them. But one of those little light bulb moments where I went, "No shit, that's it. That's that's the punchline. That's the gag that I end this on." Because you know, it it is uh, a comedy book, and it can't. It has moments of hubris. It has to, otherwise the comedy's just non-stop but it, it has to land that last joke has to work and i've been struggling for a suitable punchline but i think i think we found it which is a great okay. feeling that, that is a fantastic fantastic feeling um so you're actually in the situation that i was in last year where i had a a bit of a draft and i was going to i was doing the fifty thousand to try and get a full completed first draft yeah so you sort of people are seeing us in sort of uh, almost in like a relay race, <laughs> aren't we? The, the different sections because I'm not writing fifty thousand new words this year for November for November for Nanorimo. I'm instead doing my 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 goal is to edit, do like a full pass of edits on the on the already edited draft that I have of a novel in order to create a final draft. Yeah. So that. So I, I think you know that's going to necessitate me editing, processing, sifting through whatever you want to call it, um, about one hundred and ten, hundred and twenty thousand words. Um, that is and, quite frankly fucking loads. <laughs> it, is, it is loads, isn't it? But obviously, so, much of it has already seen uh, my editing knife, um, which is why I didn't. You know, I, I thought it would be a bit cheap to set myself the goal of the fifty thousand because. Theoretically, I think probably fifty thousand words of it has already received a few drafts already. Um, so I could sort of it was it was it would be quite an easy way to cheat at it, I think. Yeah. Um, but I have no intention of doing that because actually, as I was saying before, my goal is the reason why I'm doing it is to finish this fucking book, to have something that I can take out and try and sell to people. I you if, know, if you want to read it. I think that is one of the things about the the Nanorimo element of it that works specifically for you and I. In that we're both perfectly capable of sitting down and writing and editing. We do it every week for the mm -hmm. show. And I think because we're doing it every week for the show, we feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing the writing. I'm being a writer. And as soon as you gamify it and you put numbers on it like this and there are percentages and you can see each other's progress kind of live, especially for you and I, it becomes real. And it gives you that little bit of extra drive to do it. And I mean, especially in this month where we're not writing our normal short stories, it's it, it means we're using the time 
very differently, actually, to how you and I would be actively engaging with our writing. And far more of it. Far more of yeah, it. Yeah, so much more. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, obviously, because we, we did get a bit competitive last year, but this this one, I, f- I feel less competitive this year because I'm doing a yeah. different task, if that makes sense. I, I absolutely get that. Yeah. I also, I, I also don't feel that, you know, last year it was if I was 50 words short... I would write a 50 word paragraph of that sort of arbitrary one, six, six, seven a day or whatever it is. But you know, the first day I wrote 1200 and I thought that's good. I'm happy with what I've written there. I'm not going to push beyond that. And then today, you know, I've had an absolute streamer, it's like steaming day and done three and a half thousand. Mm. And I'm just as happy about that as I was about the first day. Yeah. Because, because you know, I assume you feel like it's it's good work. You've you've kicked stuff off. Yeah, I'm happy with what's yeah. there, and that that's what should matter. Like like you said, not ten minutes ago, it's the badges and the numbers are all good, but at the end of the day, you've you've got to be doing it in a way that makes you happy yeah. and as a thing that you enjoy. And I, I, it's an interesting point of introspection actually to come back a year later and with a year more writing experience and and see how different it feels it's yeah it's mm. it's cool it's very cool i'm glad well we're gonna um sort of generally explore those feelings as we get deeper and deeper into november because we're gonna do a little nano season now um but the first thing that we're gonna do in this episode um is we're going to read some of your uh work now this is something that you have you wrote this yesterday, so this is this is fresh from Nano, straight in a first draft, spelling mistakes and all. Um, oh, I loads will... of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is this is what comes out of of your pen during Nano Remo when you're trying yeah. to reach your word count. Um, however, we're going to mix it up a little bit, and uh, I'm going to read Nico's work, which is I think the first time we've ever done that. This is yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason that we're doing that is to see whether. Stuff like characterization is is coming across to another reader, um, and also just so I can give him some give him some notes for a future edit that he's uh, ultimately he's going to have to edit this <laughs> this beast that he's writing. Incorrect. <laughs> I'm going to edit 110,000 words really fast. It's going to go Control A, Delete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people do that, don't they? They just throw what they hard they delete whole that, novels. Yeah. That must feel almost nice. Do you know what I mean? That moment of like cathartic, certainly. It, yeah, I imagine it's what it feels like if you, for your whole life, you're afraid of uh, like falling off things and heights. Yeah, and then one day you just jump. Now I thought you were going to say like being a housewife with a terrible husband and one day killing him with a rolling pin. No, <laughs> no, I went, I went bleak with it. <laughs> so we're going to go straight into a reading of Nico's work, which is going to be done by me. We'll see how we go. I'm a, a little bit trepidatious, actually, because when when you read out your own short stories in you know, especially in our format, yeah, you can you can sort of miff a line or whatever, fudge it a little bit, yeah. But you know, if you're reading someone else's way, it feels like you can quite, you could screw it up a bit more. So <laughs> I really I, re- I really hope I don't screw it up for you. Um, but here we go. So this is something that Nico wrote, I believe, yesterday. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, it was yesterday, wasn't it? Um, and uh, it's chapter X, which is extremely uh, mysterious. 
<laughs> we don't know where this falls. Where it is. <laughs> yeah, we don't know where this falls inside his chapter structure. Uh, but the chapter is called To Be an Orc. The orc, according to most human descriptions, is a hulking brute who will tear apart armies in great heaving swings, smash through your living room wall, steal all the biscuits in the tin, and kiss your wife on any pair of lips he so chooses. Maybe not even in that order. This description has, of course, been scaled back somewhat for this tale. Folk do not speak favourably of the orcs, allowing them instead to fill up all the dark spaces in the world. That bump in the night must be an orc. That rancid smell as you leave the tavern, orcs, obviously. The missing children, the dead soldiers, the ravaged women. Of course it was all orcs. In this way, for a long time, they had served as both an excellent deterrent against those who would commit minor misdeeds, pinching someone's socks off a washing line or eating the last boiled egg, for example, and as a marvellous catch-all excuse for the sort of person who would commit far more unspeakable crimes. So it is that the general idea of the common household or garden orc is one of a gargantuan savage, heaving with muscles and tusks, and designed for nothing more than carnage. This could not be made more evidently untrue than in the case of Crud, who was in quiet contemplation as he restrung his bow. It was the tensile strength of the wood that meant the strings never lasted very long. There is a type of tree called a Lao Ken by the orcs. In the words of humans, it is known as heartwood, for that is the nearest translation we can manage without pulling a muscle. For even a strong human, bending a length of heartwood to apply a string would be a mammoth effort, but Crud, slight as he was for an orc, did it with relative ease. It was here, his long thick dreadlocks wound back in the broken bowstring he had replaced, that Crud had gone to think on everything he had seen in Skullcrusher's tent. Quiet contemplation was a distinctly un-orcish quality, but one Crud took great pleasure in undertaking. He loosed a few long shafts at mounted skulls, taking each through the socket of the left eye, as he thought. The goblins were, he had already decided, a moot point. They had been a potential meal, and now the fat one was lounging on a cushion, and the bony one had started giving bizarre orders to anyone who would listen. He had called for every passing orc for about an hour to do a flip. Eventually one had taken umbrage with this, and flipped the goblin so hard that its bum was still working on the physics of the journey it had taken. Whatever their devious little scheme was, and he could be certain it was devious, he was going to stay close enough to pay attention, and far enough away that he could drop them into a hole the first moment they weren't deemed necessary anymore. The human, Edmund, was pretty standard as far as humans went, from his reckoning at least. He was definitely what they would call handsome, even after his mistreatment as a prisoner. He had the bearing of one of the noble types, if Crud had been watching over a battlefield, that would be the man he would put an arrow in. It wouldn't be the first time. It incensed him in a way that he had been chosen to escort this man back to the human lines. Grick seemed to be taking it as a sort of honour. He was a good friend, but he had always been short-sighted. This was a poisoned grog cup. They were going to be skinned and hung flapping from the human encampment before any idea of peace could be spread. He knew it. The human probably knew it too. The idea of peace, though, was fascinating. Crud had never really been into the whole war thing. Even as a child, fighting had been something that happened to him. Normally, really brutally, just around the corner from his home. That was why he had learned to use a bow. If you can kill someone before they even know you're there, what need did you have for the ability to pop a head in your bare hands? But with peace, well then, he didn't have to kill anybody at all. And wouldn't that be a good thing? 
His grandmother's voice rang in his head, reminding him of her wise words when he had been an infant. If you don't like someone, remember that sticks and stones may break your bones, but we've a whacking great hammer in the cupboard, and that will sort them out so hard they'll never get unsorted. She had been right, in a grandmotherly sort of way. This kind of behaviour is not limited to orc nanas, but extends even all the way to the fey elfish grandams. It said the grandmother of the great dark elf raider, King Felanor Thrandorananil, had... If you touch my sweet boy, I'll feed you your own knees. Cross-stitched into her war galleon's sails. Violence had always, and without hesitation, been the cause of and solution to countless generations' problems. But what if that cycle could be broken, and everyone could go around not killing each other? As if to give credence to the theory, he let his aim pull, and an arrow whizzed over the top of the last skull, leaving it intact. We won't focus on the fact that the skull had, not 24 hours earlier, been walking around on top of a body and saying things like, Pass the bread, please, Dave. If it was going to have been his, or even Dave's story, then we would have had to start it a lot earlier. You missed one! Grick's voice seemed to appear from nowhere. Silently, Crud cursed himself. Getting snuck up on like that was a death sentence if he didn't know where you were. And in a war camp, you never really knew exactly where you were, except in the shit. Yeah, Crud conceded. You never miss one. There was a long moment while Crud considered this. He had missed many shots over the span of his life, but not in a long time. That much was true. Well, apparently, sometimes I do. As he said it, Crud tugged at the bowstring around his hair and let the strands fall loose around his shoulders. Grick had moved in close to him and looked at his face. There was an air of the predatory in the look, but this was nothing unusual. With a swift move, he shot a hand forwards and shoved Crud. It wasn't with any great force, but it was well placed and sent his friend staggering back. Crud knew this game all too well. He was not in the mood to play. Get out of your head, Grick said with a command in his voice. Scout! He added, the tang of the military title adding insult to the peace-seeking injury. I'm not in the mood, Grick. Not in the mood. Grick squared up to his friend, before swinging a leg around sharply and dropping Crud to one knee, all the strength taken out of its lower left side. Do you think a human knight will ask if you are in the mood? Another cleverly placed blow came across Crud's wrist, and prevented him striking in retaliation. Even those goblins in there will not ask what mood you're in before they try to end you. As a final movement in a swift series of blows, Grick's knee came up, stopping just short of Crud's chin. It's not fun when you don't fight back, mate. Crud leant back from the knee and stood slowly. His left leg felt as though the bones had been replaced with jelly. I'm... I'm worried, mate. About the goblins? Grick tilted his head a little as he asked, like a dog straining to understand its master. About all of it. About the big human. About... about the chance we might have peace. And if I get this wrong, maybe we won't. Crud's eyes tried to bore into the ground. The light covering of snow seemed to glow as he looked through it. He felt Grick's hand on him again, 
this time softly on his shoulder. Crud, mate. We can only do what we can do. Skullcrusher gives us a job. We have to do it. And whatever way it goes, I've got your back. And you got mine. So we're all right, ain't we? The silence yawned between sentences. Well, as close to silence as a war camp can manage to come. The little noises of Grog being drunk, axes being thudded through wood, and bawdy jokes being shared rung through the air like the little patter of rain against canvas. That moment stretched towards awkwardness until Crud finally responded. This is going to be bloody dangerous, mate. Well, then stop missing your targets and let's go change everything. Crud knew in that moment that Grick truly meant it. And that was the most frightening thing of all. It's really interesting hearing your own stuff read back to you. Yeah? Yeah. It, so just for, for the audience's sake, uh, Nico has given me no notes uh, towards uh, character voices, intonations, nothing like that. It's, um, that's, that's my, that's my reading of his work. So yeah. I hope I didn't fuck anything up too badly. No, you found it perfectly. The, uh, the, I mean, the first thing I've got to say, it's really interesting hearing your jokes back in another person's kind of cadence. Is it, it, yeah. it stress tests the punchline. Yes, I would imagine it would do because you know where you're going with it. Like, you know where the heart of it yeah. is for you, don't you? But someone else just reading it gets it a different way. So did you see any that um, weren't landing at all like you thought they were going to or think I, ones that were even funnier? I, some of them, like the, the Nana bit, because you firing into... Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I love that bit. I'm really, really happy with that joke. Yeah. But you you firing into the Nan's voice there, I was like, oh, that's so so good with that kind of because you'd already established kind of how the orcs were talking yeah yeah exactly that that wizened violent nana i was like oh god that, yeah that really lands with the emphasis in there so maybe it's <laughs> even looking at a way to to stress that but i like that bit a lot um i think i think the whole thing is strong you know for a first draft it's very very strong i think uh even people listening are going to be able to tell that this needs to be edited though um, yeah but like that is in no way a derogatory statement or a criticism. It's Everything just the reality of writing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A first draft is 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 always a bit shit. It just always is. Um, and I, I I don't think this is particularly shit. I think there there are bits in it that need lots of work. Yes. Um, but I think because this is part of um part of a larger project that you've clearly got your voice for sorted. That. It doesn't. It, it's not as much at the mercy of that first draft shipness as yeah. uh, perhaps a short story would be, or if we were reading through an entire novel or a novella or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. You, you can. I feel a lot of the needed edits on that because I purposely didn't read it back after I'd written it so that I could get it. So that's as, that's straight off the the press, isn't it? That's straight yeah. out of the mill. It's like I've finished writing it. I'll just give it to Ben. We'll, mm. we'll see how it sounds tomorrow. And I think what's really interesting about it is I can hear when you're reading it back to me where my brain said, that's an idea. So I'll just type out that whole idea and then we can take bits out or we can move it or because it is it's very flow of consciousness, isn't it? The, yeah, the way it sounds. It, it's very flow of consciousness. I think w last year we had a um, we had a conversation about uh, some of the stuff that you were producing for the 
first bit of this story. Yeah. And I remember us talking about like what, what's what, and, and my my strongest um, bit of feedback I felt was that uh, you needed to play with formatting, yeah, in order to make it clear what's what. So in this, you've uh, parenthesized the narrator sections. Yeah. Um. The only other thing that I would I would add to this, I think that, and this is potentially a first draft thing, I think that the the voices blend between scene narrator and meta narrator yeah. too, too too readily, too easily. Okay. Um so the, I'm just trying to look for a So for example, um Crud had never really been into the whole war thing. I think that's too flippant for the scene narrator. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. But it's not too flippant for the you know the meta narrator who who's the one with the you know uh, the the uh Doing the voices of the the granddam of the elf. I mean, yeah, even straight into like looking at it now, well, looking, listening to it now, mm. something like uh, "Act of Violence" didn't come naturally to Crud. Parentheses. He'd never really been into the whole war thing. Close parentheses. Close mm-hmm. parentheses. Yeah. Immediately, kind of brings that duality back, doesn't it? That's definitely yeah. And I think that duality, the strongest, the strongest paragraphs of this are where that duality is really, uh, really enforced. So, for example, the, the you know we if, if we're focusing in on that bit about the um, the orc grandmothers and the, the elfish grandmothers, that bit of sort of meta narration, um, that one's fascinating because the the bit where the character is recalling what his grandmother said to him is obviously in the scene in the moment. That's where the character's head is. The the stuff about the dark elf and the or you know those kind of the war galleons and all that stuff, he, he might not even know that. Yeah, um, and I I feel like that 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 paragraph feels distinct. Those voices feel very distinct, despite the fact that we've got two grandmothers talking in the same section. Yeah, I think that's that that is really really helpful feedback actually, because I know there are bits where where I'm gonna have to go in and and find those narrator voices because they are always there, and it it works quite well for me because they they're the the two voices I use. When telling stories, it's the I am telling a story voice and I am saying something funny. And it's I think they definitely blend when I'm writing because I don't want to sort of drop the ball on a punchline or... Well, I think you can be funny without doing the meta voice thing. Yeah. The meta, the meta voice, that meta narrator voice or whatever you want to call it, um, it's more of like a confidence moment. It's more like um, as in like the narrator is taking you into their confidence. Yeah. A little aside, you know, they lean in, they sort of whisper something to you that the characters can't hear. Um and I think I think there was even sections in the in some of the work that I've already read from this project where then that meta narrator is actually directly shitting on your characters. Yeah. Um or taking the piss out of them in you know, next to where they're trying to do their thing. Um so I think you can achieve humor in both and, and I think you do in this one. Yeah. Um but it's a different kind of humor, and if if you're gonna if you're gonna keep them distinct, then they need to stay distinct. Yeah, would be my note there. Um, a lot of run-on sentences. There was there was one paragraph where the whole thing was 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 one um, sentence. I'm so guilty of that crime with like so many commas. <laughs> but like, so what that does is you know how to read it. Yeah, because. You wrote it. You know where the stress falls. 
I'm I'm like I'm looking for how to put stress around the seven commas, <laughs> or like you know which bits that you yeah that kind of thing. So that that's that that kind of thing really does show up on a on somebody else reading it. I think yeah, hundred um, percent. Especially reading it out, like this is actually like a brutal thing to do to a first draft. <laughs> to not only for me to read it out loud to you, but also on mic, <laughs> and then be like, so. Here's where you fucked up. <laughs> I love it though. It's this is exactly what this is for, you know. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, so essentially, this is this is um, this is really clearly going to be a bit. It's definitely going to stay inside the novel, from what I can tell. Yeah, the characters feel like they they are coming through. Like I very much felt the difference between Grick and Crud. Um, so much so that I was like quite, I was quite uh, keen to give them different voices. Um, I found it harder to do Crud's voice, like that kind of like softer orc voice is a bit harder. Yeah. Um, whereas Grick, you can go full, you know, Mordor orc, can't you? A little yeah, bit. Yeah, big lad. Big lad. Um, but uh, you know, I I really enjoyed. Like, I like the concept um, of having a conflicted orc. Yeah. Um, what? So this this is a character that you've put into that you you've created this character in this section, correct? Or have they turned uh, up? So or... both characters are so Crud is a, a key character all the way through. He's one of I'd say the sort of main four, right? Uh, because he's he is tasked along with Edmund, the human, of actually taking the goblins where they're meant to go. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens to him, and a lot of development later. And it was only on coming back to it, I thought. I really need to to set him up to give him stakes because I know him because I I created him but the reader doesn't yet and that's what this bit's really for. Okay, well then it's doing um it's a very much like a like a building block sort of scene, isn't it? That character yeah. introduction, character development kind of moment um where we find out why a character does what they what they do and and what other people think of it, and what they think of other people, and th this does that in fifteen hundred words, yeah. which is which is very good. I think this this section could be a lot longer. I would be tempted to edit this into a, into a larger piece, yeah, uh, into a larger into a larger uh, chapter. Sorry, um, you know, we were talking about those like run on sentences that go into the paragraphs. Yes, I think I, think I gave you this note last time. This must be just a thing that that happens on your first drafts, but a lot of the sentences that were quite long could have been turned into three or four really good sentences like the yeah. constituent parts the ingredients for the interesting sentences are all there um and i think that would lengthen it because yeah it's almost like you're just trying to get them out as quickly as possible because you're having so many good ideas all at once with every with every word that you write um so it's quite an exciting thing to read i would say because it's it's clear that you don't lack for any kind of imagination i think that's that's clear after two years of writing short stories that you don't lack imagination. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh, I think I think it's it's a, it's an exciting thing to read. It's I think it's an impressive first draft. It's played with problems, but so that's what all first drafts are. Like all of my As first drafts are trash. Yeah. Exactly. I uh yeah, it's it's good. It's actually really good to get I mean I'm going to bully you into reading the whole thing for I start editing it now. I'll give you a red mm. pen. Make you yeah. make you do make you play teacher. But yeah. the um yeah, I think it's something that I'm going to have to to learn to do a little bit better, mostly because I've, you know, I've made up stories, I've written things, but what I've written mostly 
is short stories for this podcast. And it means that I'm absolutely brutal to myself with word economy and I don't let anything play out slowly and the pace is absolutely rapid fire all the way through. And I think I need to... I need some practice well, in letting things sit and stew, and you know, I I think that's that's a fair that's a fair appraisal. Um, you often equate your method of writing to the way uh, comedians tell jokes, yeah, with like punchlines and stuff like that. So potentially something that you could think about is that the best comedians, the best stand-up comedians, allow a joke to sit. They sit in it. They sit in the laugh. They sit in the silence. They draw things out, and they they trust their material. Yeah, the 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 starting comics that are nervous don't leave any silence in their set, and they just rapid fire through their set, desperately trying to get all the funny things out, trying to get that laugh, trying to pull that laugh from people. It it's a fact that you are funny. You know, yeah. you know that you're funny. I know that you're funny. You make every single person, pretty much, that we've had on this podcast laugh with your intended jokes, either. You know, just with your witticisms or with your written works, you don't need to prove it six times in the same sentence at the expense yeah. of the sentence. But you, what you, that's why I'm saying stretch it out because there's there's clearly lots of joke in there. So just sit in it, like just really sort of luxuriously allow people to to live inside your inside your humorous world that you're building. Yeah, that would be my main. That's that's sort of my main note, really. Um, uh, aside from the the uh, the formatting between the uh, the messenger narrator and the yes uh, yeah uh, not formatting the the formatting yes but also the tone because um, I think I think it's important for them to be a little bit distinct if they're going to be formatted differently yeah um, then I had a few other little notes which are just um, little things uh, Hartwood is a thing already oh is it yes maybe that's so, where I pulled it from potentially yeah, yeah. so uh, the Hartwood is the wood in the center of a tree. So when a when a ah. when a bowyer makes so for example someone making a longbow, they take a bit of the heartwood and a bit of the outer wood, because they have different like stretch and bend properties. I would to I would bet my net worth that you've told me that once before, and that's why when coming up with a strong wood for a bow, I could be I've yeah. that memory. Yeah, yeah. So that might be just worth coming up with a different name for it. But other than that, it was cool. Um, like I like this idea that there's a there's a kind of tree that humans don't fuck with because it's too hard to bend it. Yeah. But, but orcs do. You know th- that's the kind of thing that people would call like ironwood or um, yeah something like that something that that sounds like it's it's got more strength than wood ought to have. Yeah. Um, but I liked it. I liked it as a concept. It's just the, the for, it um, it caused me to trip up a little bit just because I know what hardwood is. Okay, that's good. Um, so worth doing. Um, there was a bit where... Oh, yeah, so I remember what it was. It's uh, Thranduranil. Oh, my, my purposefully almost impossible to say elf name, which is a really mean thing to give someone. It is, it is something out. I mean, I know, I know you'll have edited this, but I tripped over it about six times, listeners, when I was trying to read it out early. So that's one thing, but people, your readers aren't necessarily going to be reading this out loud, so yeah. that's not necessarily a problem. What I do think is a problem is that it's about one letter away from Thranduil. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think you're, you're skirting with straight parody at that point. Yeah, um, you know, like um, Board of the Rings and uh, Boris Trotter or whatever the Harry Potter one was called, like yeah, where, yeah. where they're just 
scene for scene piss takes, you know, and all they they're filled with like slightly funny takes on um uh you know, on, on character names from Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and, and whatever else gets parodied. Yeah. So I think I, I think you could do with just swinging away from that. Um okay. you you have a much better understanding of how comedy works in writing than I do. But I feel like that that stuck out to me because I was like, that's too close to Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um so this is your own thing, was my was my feeling. Yeah. This is your own world. So there's no need to do that because you you're building this world. Entirely unintentional as well, but yeah. a really good thing to have someone catch. Yeah. Worth yeah. It's um that's it's well, it's one of the reasons we're doing this, isn't it? It's yeah. to definitely. And this is the kind of thing that comes out whenever anybody beta reads anything for anybody. <laughs> You know, there's yeah. always little things that just don't occur to one person that do occur to another person. So, but um, I, th- I think it's I think it's a really fun piece, and I know that the larger project is is really exciting. And I think there's definitely a space for this kind of like comedy fantasy, epic fantasy um, world building and and novel sort of structure. Um, I like it, and it's um, it's something that I couldn't write. I don't think. I mean, the jury's still out on whether I can write it, mate. We're going to take some time. <laughs> but if you wrote, you said today you wrote um, 3,000 words, was it? Something around there, yeah. Yeah. If you're putting, and this was 1,500 words. So if you're, if you're putting out stuff of this quality as a first draft, and you're, you, you're going to have it end up with about 100,000 words of it, there is no way that you won't be able to just polish it up, tweak it, edit it, bring it up to the point where it is a very good book. Yeah. Because you can see it, like, it's it's so clearly a diamond, but it you just need to dig it out of the middle a little bit. Um, I'm I'm leaving a bit of poo on there, because that's funny. Poo is funny, Ben. It's just <laughs> it's one of the laws of nature. <laughs> so poo, poo and willies are funny. That's That's the rules. <laughs> I am a grown man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, this has been a fairly brutal process, and I think I think you've you've handled it handled it with grace and aplomb. So well done. It, it's um, actually it's fascinating and really, first of all, nice because I know I can trust you, and I know you'd only give necessary feedback. Yeah. But also, it's great because you know you're writing this thing, and it's just kind of it's sat there as a big pile of words that only you are really looking at. So mm. being able to give a bit of it to someone and say, "Look, I'm not, I'm not mad, am I? This is all right," and then say, "Yes, you need to do this, but you're on the right path." I think that's invaluable as a tool. Yeah. So this is something that anyone that's uh, following along with Nano or um, trying to edit edit their book or just generally trying to do any kind of writing it's it's always worth getting someone that you trust to have yeah. a read of it and just give you their thoughts on it um if if you're taking part by the way do drop us a tweet or a facebook message or anything you feel like because we've got a group on the nano remo website and you can join in and you can write along with us and put rude things in the chat and it would just be nice to to grow that community it's I exclusively think... for rude things that chat is it now. Oh, exclusively. <laughs> Excellent. Poo and willies and all sorts. <laughs> There's something just so condescending about the word willy. 
Imagine in the uh, the sexual arena using it, using that terminology. Oh, like, that to me is so inherently hilarious. I mean, it's obscene. If you were if you were like <laughs> referring to your willy during during sex, I'm over here, be... darling. And yeah, that, touch that's my willy. That's beyond <laughs> deviance. That's just <laughs> crazed. If anyone is doing that to you, listener, you need to leave them. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to put me to bed. Yes, definitely. So the will, if anybody thought this was too brutal, if I went too hard on Nico there, or they thought maybe I didn't have to uh, put up my writing to st- under the same kind of scrutiny and knife, um, that is not true. That is happening next week um, when Nico will uh, hopefully take his gloves off and uh, really get to work on my stuff as well. Can't wait. That was fun, wasn't it? That was fun. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast... Well, magic can only take one so far. The tiny bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For a Magnificent Beardery, let's cast the Chinicus Folliculale spell on Gary Laird. For rich ginger tones on the scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for general fabulousness, why not the Ulala la Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?